Welcome to the Educate US podcast with your host, Nick Saveri, Dr. Stacy Schultz, and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Thank you, of course, for listening to the Educate US podcast. As always, across all channels, you can be able to find us Apple, Spotify, um, good pods, all those good places. And of course, five-star reviews, comments on the show are appreciated. Um, I feel like our most recent episode on Black History, we're waiting to see just some of the comments and feedback that have come in. I will say again, you know, we have seen so many more just likes and positive comments either given to us directly or what we're seeing on social media. Uh, and also quickly connecting back to recent events and recent guests, uh, our friend Kelly Cassara, who was on recently, her book just came out. Obviously, that was linked, you know, on her show, you know, talking about the future of education. So, you know, I reached out to her yesterday, just celebrated the fact that you know, her book just got released. Obviously, in the background of this show, you know, we talk about the work that uh, Patrice and Stacey are doing with their book and that, you know, the news continues to come in there as far as their development. Um, so just exciting stuff. We always like to celebrate, you know, friends of the show and the incredible things that they do. We're particularly excited about this episode today because we get to jump into a little bit more of the world of, not even a little bit more, like the actual world of educational reporting. We've had on folks that have helped to be policy influencers. People have really pushed our thinking as far as what we define as education. Today, we talk about what's what's happening and from the lens of a journalist who lives in classrooms, lives in school board meetings. So Jesse Gomez of Chalkbeat will be joining us shortly. But before we do that, in the spirit of journalism or the spirit of reporting, um, Stacey, I just want to go to you first with just that question of, well, first and only today, Patrice is not able to join us today. So we, um, you know, we're excited to continue to share this story with her, but um, she will be joining us back for our next upcoming episode. But Stacey, in the meantime, just in the in the form of like news reporting, journalism, current events, like what's standing out to you? Anything recently that um, that's caught your eye that sort of uh, either sparked your thinking or you know just sort of left you in a really good place with uh, what's going on? Well, in preparation for our show, I read a lot of Jesse's articles on Chalkbeat. And one of the more recent ones is really connecting to some conversations we recently had on uh, Educate US with uh, Paul and Mary talking about school boards. And Newark was the first in the state to lower the election age for school boards. And I'm really excited to see what emerges from that. And, and now we're having 16 and 17 year olds being able to vote. They were supposed to do be able to do that uh, this spring. However, it was pushed back to 2025 and hopefully it will not be pushed back further. <laughs> um, I know some people were, were concerned and I actually, when Jesse comes on the show, I, I want to ask her, you know, from her vantage point of what she was hearing, what were some of those concerns and and just hearing a little more about it. Uh, but I, I'm really in love with the idea because I think students should have a say of who is on school board because they, as Paul and Demary shared with us, they have a lot of power. So, you know, our, our students who are ultimately the receivers of these decisions uh, should have a role in that. I guess my mind melts a little bit here because I always think of 
voting in terms of well did the article mention that you can have a like a difference in age between like voting in like state elections and like city council versus school board and other areas um i mean they were they were specifically talking about voting in the school board elections so i'm assuming yes but i i didn't i didn't see anything about that about the fact that you know uh to your question of could they vote in different you know elections as well or the age is there yeah i yeah we'll get into that with jesse when she comes on um so with that in mind of course jesse joins our show jesse gomez is a reporter at chalkbeat newark um jesse we're excited to have you on the program we've been talking a little bit about um Something that comes up on our show often is just just news in general, education news. That's helps to spur some of the conversations that we're on today. So we're excited to have someone who's actually doing that reporting. Um, and Stacey had mentioned just looking through your archive recently. Yeah, you know, I think stepping back for a little bit and just first starting with you and your journey, you know, from a person interested in this field to you know becoming a journalist and now the work you're doing over at Chalkbeat. And full disclosure, I saw you were a one of the tried and true members over at the record in um well, what what I used to remember is the Bergen record. So that mm-hmm, sort of dates me mm-hmm. a little bit to the office in Hackensack, <laughs> which is only about like 10 minutes from my parents' house. Um, so I was excited to see that. But yeah, if you don't mind, just take us a little bit to the road from um, just from where you started to what got you into the offices and what excites you about the work that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. You, you did the digging as, you know, <laughs> a good journalist does. <laughs> Um, well, first and foremost, thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to chat with you folks. Um, but so I, I've only been covering education issues for almost two years now, um, which honestly, it feels like forever, just everything that's popped up. Um, but I started, in, my journey really started in 2018, um, doing public records work with a nonprofit up in Boston. From there, I came to Jersey, and that's where I started working at The Record as a local reporter, really covering local communities, trying to understand not only politics, you know, government and structures, but also just like what's out, what's happening on the ground. Um, so I did a lot of like door knocking, like, you know, talking to people, parents, things like that. From there, you know, I, the landscape, the journalistic landscape kind of like was a little rocky and shaky. Um, there were things that, you know, at my organization that I was like, mm, well, I could be doing better things at another. So I, you know, thankfully I applied to a lot of jobs. Um, education wasn't always, you know, on the front of my mind, but, you know, in my local reporting, a lot of issues that popped up intersected with education, education policy, just folks just generally being upset about like what's happening in schools. Um, so I took a chance with Chalkbeat Newark um, and I've been happy ever since, um, but I've come to realize that working or, you know, covering education and that being my full-time beat, um, it, it doesn't mean that I'm just covering issues in the classroom. There's like so many other things that affect students outside of school, at home, you know, on the bus or like in a park. There's just so many things like I've had to look into lawsuits and look into like housing laws and like find out like what like like legal terms mean. So it's like, yes, I cover education, but education encompasses so much. Um, and sometimes you forget that. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about me and my journey and kind of how I how I ended up here, really. Thanks, Jesse, for sharing that and for being with us today. Uh, as you were talking about how education intersects the community in so many various aspects, 
why would it make sense for uh, anyone to be reading an education section of a publication or even like a chalkbeat that's completely dedicated uh, to education? Yeah, I don't think that you need to be necessarily a parent or a teacher, you know, a student to to be involved in education or like read up on education. I mean, you know, homeowners pay school board tax, like school taxes. And I mean, in your own community, you see kids coming out of school, like you see the school buses that might also affect like your transportations and your commute. So it's important to just like stay up to date on like the basic uh, the basics of like education and like school district happenings in your own community, because, you know, you need to be aware of what's going on. You know, maybe one day there's like a bunch of kids, you know, going out like uh, being dismissed early, like that might affect your commute. Like you should read up on that. Or I don't know, maybe there's like something happening in like the local school across the, the corner from you. Like you want to know about what's going on just, just because it's in your community. And I think it's just another aspect of society for us to really share community and be engaged in like, you know, not only issue educational issues, but also the future of of our society. Like these are the future, this is our generation. And if we're not one keeping those accountable that oversee these kids, I mean, a lot of things can go wrong there. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. I mean, obviously, education is near and dear to us <laughs> um, and how that intersects and society and the future and 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 everything, really, right? It touches you yeah. in so many ways that you may or may not be aware of. And so thank you for pointing those out. So at Chalkbeat Newark, what are some of the topics that you tend to cover? Yeah, we um we cover a lot. So Newark is New Jersey's largest school district. Um, we have well the public school system is home to just over forty one thousand students, um, with a little over twenty thousand more in like scattered throughout charter and private schools. Um, so it, there's like a lot of kids there. <laughs> there's a lot happening. Um, in the public school system, um just about, or a little bit over 90% of students identify as black or Latino. So we do, you know, I cover a lot of diversity issues, cover a lot of issues affecting English language learners, um, you know, students with disabilities, that's a very big population within the public school system as well. Um, School board politics, that's very much a plenty. Um, Most recently, the uh, mayor in Newark, who is who's also a former high school principal and just has really deep roots in Newark, he just announced his uh, bid for governor. So there's a lot of, you know, changes that will come to that. And, you know, organizations um, involved in education, you know, will have an opinion to say on that, too. So a lot of politics. um, And of course, a lot of the post-pandemic academic recovery efforts, that's something we're really invested in as well. What are schools doing to, you know, get kids up to speed? You know, there's a lot of learning loss that happened. A lot of students who... um, also were mentally impacted during the pandemic and need that support now in schools. So it's a lot of, you know, covering the well-being of students now post-pandemic, but also like everything else. (laughs) You know, Jesse, as you brought up the idea of learning loss on this show, we've talked a little bit about where sometimes that term, depending on sort of the context you're applying it to, you know, if we're talking about this from a standardized testing standpoint, there's, there's obviously a lot of conversation about that. You hit on, though, in terms of, um, you know, supporting social emotional learning, like mental wellness for students in the report that you've been doing. And just as an observer in the public schools, you know, throughout the pandemic and as we're now, you know, more removed from really the, the most severe times of the pandemic, 
I've never has I've very always hesitant to say we're past it because we still have people dying every week and you know we're still seeing traces of the impact of COVID. But like in this phase of the pandemic we live in now, what has been your observation about those needed efforts, the experiences of students? And on the flip side of it, what challenges are teachers have teachers been experiencing of trying to and trying to address those needs within their classrooms? Yeah. So again, a lot of our reporting really focuses on, like I mentioned earlier, the factors that you know affect students in and out of classrooms. And I think Newark is a very dynamic place and very interesting because of the type of students that are being served. Um, one would say it's an urban school district. Um, there's lots of students of color who, you know, during the pandemic, either lost a lot of family members, um, maybe couldn't even like log on to, you know, you know, their virtual classes because they didn't have Wi-Fi. There were very unique struggles that you know, these students in Newark faced. And so, you know, when you are transitioning back into the schools, um, you know, they're facing all of these problems head on, but also trying to reintegrate their like social aspect as well. And just, you know, recalibrate their brains from being into like this, like, intense, like, I'm in an emergency state to now like, oh, everything's fine. So there's obviously a lot of mental health implications to that. Um, In the public school system, we've seen a lot of like, you know, state and federal grants being poured in to um, the system just to provide more of the support. Um, But I think there's another layer there when it comes to students of color and those, again, those unique um, challenges that they face during the pandemic, which, you know, again, it's, it's, you know, mental health servicing, it's not a very like one, one fits all solution. Um, And so a lot of what we're seeing is that, you know, students, Students, some students are doing well, of course, and I think they're they're you know right on track. They're academically recovering very well, um, but there's some students that just need that extra support, whether it be through this high dosage tutoring three times a week, or you know whether it be um, just like that one-on-one support with someone, or you know finding representation within their schools, being able to talk to people that look like them, understand them, and also went through those similar challenges. Um, and so a lot of the challenges teachers face is really just connecting with their students and understanding them in this new like phase of life for them. Like for us as adults, this was like really tough, but for students, it's like they're not only learning like how to write or like how to read, but they're also like trying to deal with like these big like glooming life issues. Um, so I think that what we again, what we've seen in the public schools is, you know, in the initiation of that support. Um, but I think more needs to be done to really target the root of that issues, like in the long term. Jesse, on the subject of, of teachers, you know, supporting their student populations, you know, you recently reported on some of the efforts over at, if I remember correctly, it's Malcolm X Shabazz High School in terms mm-hmm. of addressing the needs of, um, of multi-language learners. Yeah. Can you expand on that in terms of, because it seems like your article was speaking to the fact that there's been an infusion of more students with that particular need. Um, can you just sort of take us a little bit through what's been going on, the efforts at the high school, um, and in general, early phase now, um, where where do you see those efforts sort of meeting out or netting out at this point? Yeah, yeah. So right now in the public school system, there's more than 10,000 um, students, which is like a quarter of the public school's enrollment that are English language learners. So that's a big chunk of students. Um, they're obviously more so scattered throughout the charters and the privates, um, but the bulk of them are housed in the public school system, which 
you know, according to the public school system is a challenge because, you know, there needs to be extra funding, more teachers need to be put in place to service these students. And we're sort of at a time where it's it's a little hard to find teachers willing to take on that challenge. And even if they are there, like, you know, servicing this population, um, retention seems to be an issue as well. Um, So just to kind of backtrack a little bit in Newark. um, So Newark was under state control Um, The Newark public school system was under state control for um, between 1995 and 2020. So that was like a long time. And in that time, there was a lot of services and programs and departments that were cut out, um, schools closed. It was a tough time for Newark. Um, Then in 2018, there was a new superintendent who had this vision, Superintendent Roger Leone, who has this vision to, you know, reclaim school properties, bring back all these programs, which is great. Um, and so most recently, um, he launched or he's going to launch this fall a new English language learner program in the South Ward neighborhood. Currently in that neighborhood, there is no high school that offers services for English language learners. So if you live in the South Ward, you have to take a bus to go to the North Ward, which is in like on the other end of Newark to, you know, get the services you need. Um, if, you know, you don't want to do that, you'll stay in one of the South Ward schools Um And, you know, teachers there, you know, will take you into their classroom, like obviously you're enrolled in that school, whatever. But the teachers, at least from what I've heard through our reporting is a lot of those teachers in those classrooms feel the weight and the weight and also kind of not a burden, but they do feel how hard it is to work with this population and also work with their students who, you know, are in their classrooms who already speak English. Um, It's funny that you mentioned this because in the last board meeting, um, there was a couple of students and a teacher who spoke about um, the just the interactions of one being a working with you know English language learners and then two how students relate to these other students as well um, there was one student who said it was just really hard to you know connect with her peer but also like do work with her peer um, because it was you know they couldn't speak the same language there's also this like stigma from um, you know of, of being an English language learner as well and so there's a lot of challenges that come, you know, for students who speak English and students who are English language learners and just trying to work through it all. And so, again, with this new program that's launching at Malcolm X Shabazz High School in the fall, um, it's supposed to bring in, you know, those English language learners who are, you know, have to take multiple buses to the tippy top of Newark, um, just, you know, something a little bit more accessible for them. And again, this is like all in the midst of um, the district's enrollment growing and just like an influx of, you know, migrants coming to New Jersey. And so there's, there's a lot of dynamics here. Um, but again, this isn't also the first time that we see like this, like influx of migrants coming to the city. Um, it, it sort of kind of happens and it's been happening over the years, but, um, I think it's more apparent now than the need more than ever, which I think says a lot to the, you know, the dynamics happening. You mentioned a few things there, Uh, about like school boards and accessibility. And I was hoping to transition and talk about that with you. Um, And actually, as we were doing the intro for our session today, we were taught our our interview with you. We were talking about a recent article you published and Newark is the first, uh, I guess, city or town, right, that will lower the voting age so that school students 16 and 17 will be able to vote in school board elections. I 
I'm personally super excited about that because I really believe students are our like biggest, right? receivers of decisions that school boards make. So having a role in who is representing them and who is making decisions um, with them in mind uh, feels really important. However, I noticed in your reporting, there, there's a lot of uh, concern there. Can you tell us more yeah. about like what you're hearing and, and seeing? Yeah, yeah. So, so last month in January, the Newark City Council approved this ordinance to again allow sixteen and seventeen year olds to vote. Um, that was supposed to take effect this April. April is when Newark has their school board uh, elections, um, but just due to the delays and technical issues, that's going to be postponed. So, the sixteen and seventeen year olds are voting next year, um, which you know, gives like advocates like more time, or at least from through our reporting, we've heard that it gives them more time to like plan, outreach, strategize, like engage, engage our youth in like this, like this civic discussion. So that's cool. Um, but initially when city council members were, you know, the vote was before city council, um, we heard from a lot of our residents that there was concerns with, um, you know, like our 16, 17 year olds, like educated enough to vote like let alone vote for school board members like are they civically engaged do they know what voting is or like the responsibility that comes with it um and i think those are good questions to ask but there's also this the other side of the coin where a lot of advocates say well you know we're not giving this generation the enough credit um and i think that i mean that's also true as well um so i think there, there's both sides to the coin but um, i think with the extra time that's now that, you know, the folks are having now, I think that there's a lot of efforts on the ground. And we recently wrote about this, that there's a lot of efforts on the ground to, you know, engage students, bring back civic courses to the public schools, which currently there isn't. So if you're not taking like an AP, like, you know, US history course, like you're really not engaging in like the democratic process, or, you know, you're not, you don't really know about what's going on with elections and things like that. Um, so there's a big push to one, bring back civics courses to the public schools, also engage um, youth and civic, you know, to discussions, um, kind of re-engage them in this like uh, mindset of, you know, if I don't vote, you know, my, you know, nothing's going to change. So, and there's a lot of sentiment too from students who, who like they, one of the students that spoke during the city council meeting last month, you know, she was like, well, you know, I've always like seen the candidate, the school board candidate forums. And I always like know who's like running, but like, I can't vote, which is silly because like you said, it's affecting me as a student. Um, so I think I, I, I will say though, you know, through my reporting, I found that, you know, 16 and 17 years are like really eager to like get engaged and like start voting. Um, but I think there's, there's still a, 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 a big gap to fill now between here and next year and, you know, getting these kids like really like boat ready. Jesse, you know, it's February 22nd of this year. Mm -hmm. When you look ahead, you know, at the remainder of 2024, at least, the, you know, going into spring and such, what challenges or what opportunities start to come on the horizon? Like when you're doing your reporting, like what's the sense you're getting about? And we just talked about, yeah. um, you know, that recent, the recent efforts, you know, at Malcolm, at Malcolm X, but in general, in within the city of Newark, um, what is emerging for you as the the biggest challenges and things people should be mindful of, as those who are paying attention to education news and um, you're trying to stay ahead of what you know what lies ahead. Yeah, well, for Newark again, New Jersey's largest school district. Um, school board policy is pretty big, but you know, right now as 
as we look ahead to the April school board race, there's like a lot of discussion of, well, like who should serve and, you know, who is, you know, the right candidate to be on this board. Um, and so looking ahead, that's something we're planning just internally as well. We do like a voter guide in April to just kind of let folks know who the candidates are. We collaborate with a couple of organizations on the ground to, to just, again, engage folks, um, in this civic process, because historically in Newark, uh, turnout has been low. It's been about 3% for April school board races. Um, and a lot of the folks who, well, actually all the folks who serve on the school board now have been endorsed by the mayor, you know, the senators and things like that. So, you know, there, I guess there, there is like a lot to say here when it comes to like community members and like parents who just want to be more involved in the decision-making of the public school system. So that's something that we're really looking at too, and kind of just trying to get a feel like, you know, who, you know, who do people want on the school board and like, what, what do you think they should represent? Like who should be on the board? Um, in the fall, there's always something happening with the school board, but in the fall, there was a situation on the school board where um, there was two vacancies, well, one vacancy and later on a second one. Um, and it, there was a there was a candidate who was a, a voted in by the school board. He was a charter school teacher. Is a charter school teacher. Um, however, there was a delay in actually getting him seated on the board, um, and there was a lot of like tensions from the community because he came from a charter school background. There was a lot of tensions, you know, a lot of questions around like, would this person be qualified to sit on a public school board and also be a charter school employee? Um, so again, in Newark, people really care about who's who's kind of making these larger decisions. Um, and so that's something that we're, we're really invested in and, and just kind of taking scope of um, and just documenting kind of the dynamics there. Um, we're also looking ahead at tutoring efforts. Um, this is now like the second half of the school year. So there's been a lot, a big push in the first, kind of the first um, half of the school year to get, you know, kids in the high dosage tutoring three times a week, whether that be virtual or in person. So now in the second half, it's kind of our time to really like take scope of it all and really see like, okay, like did those efforts pay, like, you know, pan out, like, did they pay off? Like, are you waiting? Like, we have um, standardizing testing coming in the, in the spring. So a lot of school districts, a lot of school districts across the country are looking to those state standardized tests as kind of a measure of, you know, did tutoring pay off or not. That in combination with grades and you know, other kind of academic measures as well. So we're, we're really, we're taking stock of those two looking forward. Jesse, throughout our conversation, you know, you've just been expanding on the different ways, right, that reporting and the education section and publications like Chalkbeat can really inform um, people on like kind of what's going on, right? Whether or not you're directly in the school system, but that you living in the community, you're impacted. When, as a reporter, what are some of your hopes for the readers that, you know, they'll get out of reading the different articles that you and your colleagues at Chalkbeat are publishing? Yeah, so our, so what I really enjoy about working at Chalkbeat is, you know, just our model, it's very grassroots reporting, you know, we really center the community and community voices. And so we kind of stray away from the breaking news model where, you know, if, you know, something's, you know, if there was something that happened at a school board meeting, like recently there was uh, a group of students in 2022 who um, spoke out about racial harassment at a high school, you know, 
a lot of outlets picked that up as breaking news, but we kind of sort of took our time to that um, and really took time to talk to these students and parents and analyze the situation. And so I'm really proud of that model because it gives me as a reporter just a little bit more time to like sit with the news and really understand where the community is coming from. Um, and that really pays off because when you're a reporter, you just need to like build trust with like students and like parents and teachers, which, you know, it doesn't come easy. Um, and so um, I'm just really proud of that model. And I think that if, you know, there needs to be more reporting centered on those like smaller voices um, and underrepresented voices as well. Um, and I think that's really important. It's, it's kind of the bread and butter of what we do. So now you've got, well, I'll save it for a future conversation, but what you just talked <laughs> about is the benefit of not the re like a good counter to sort of the 27, 24, seven model of reporting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so moving away from sort of clickbaity focus to like meaningfully like informed discourse, which mm -hmm. we still can be able to do that aside. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, let's just talk about how people can stay connected to you. Um, I know yeah. through LinkedIn, but what are some other outlets we people can be able to continue to follow the work that you're doing? What we always like to do on the show is, you know, with our guests, just make sure that their spotlight, their work is recognized and that people can be able to follow them and continue the conversation um, from the chat that we're having here today. Yeah, well, we are at chalkbeat.org slash Newark. Um, you can find all of our Newark stories on there. We also have like a, a text project feature that I lead where I we have a small group of loyal readers um, and loyal texters who all send out like, you know, school board text updates to once a month. Um, that's something folks can sign up to if they're interested. Um, and of course, we have a newsletter as well that you can sign up. Um, we send that out twice a week. And we just, you know, keep you updated on what's happening, not just with education, but just in Newark in general. Um, and that's primarily the biggest ways that we engage folks. And um, other than that, I'm on Twitter. I like, you know, tweet out funny stuff sometimes, non-education stuff, <laughs> more personable. Keep fighting the good fight of uh, making making Twitter or X or whatever they're calling you now. <laughs> still, a, still a safe space. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This was great. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. As mentioned, that was, of course, Jesse Gomez over at Chalkbeat Newark joining the show. Uh, Stacy, just quick takeaways before we wrap up. Let's do that to you in the conversation. Oh, quick takeaways. I feel like um, I can't put my finger on one thing that stood out. Uh, but a big highlight for me was the way she was able to connect just how education impacts all of us. Um, and just talk about that. And even, you know, I loved her example of the simplest thing of uh, knowing what's going on in a school across the street from you or when early dismissal and how that might impact you, but then also the invitation to get more deeply involved in education and understand the underlying um, working, so to speak, right? And how that connects to politics, how that informs policy, right? How, and um, 
and more localized impact on our students and our community. So I really appreciate the way she talked about all of those connections and um, and how that impacts us in, in a variety of ways. Yeah, I was, I was, I was feeling the same about, you know, I thought she did a great job of sort of expanding on you know, what is the ripple effect? And I think you, Patrice, and I have talked about that often, but it's great for someone who's, you know, do that report and also basically confirm what we've always known. Um, I also appreciated that point that she brought up about, you know, Chalkbeat takes a different approach to their reporting. You know, they will take a more measured approach. They are not the place to go to for, you know, for breaking news. And that's very refreshing as, as a journalism major for myself, because, you know, we're unfortunately in a situation where living in a space of 24 seven news, and the perfect example of this, of this, folks, is when there is reporting around crime and warfare. Um, you know, you will see headlines from major outlets that just are constantly breaking news. And unfortunately, what you find is that you really do need as as powerful a moment as that is, and as much as you feel like you want to be informed, the people who are doing all the information collecting are still collecting information. And what you're about to get may be the highlights. But all too often, it's what we really sort of stick with when we form form our opinions, when we really should step back and let more information come in so we can really fully digest. Um, so I appreciate just that model there. Yeah, well, it's reminding me of, I was listening to a podcast recently with Michelle Obama, and she was just saying, you know, we are not made as humans to kind of take in that level of trauma and information on an ongoing basis. And she you knows she spoke about that, the impact on our mental health, et cetera, when we engage that way and the invitation not to. So it really feels like a thoughtfulness from that chalkbeat um, perspective and, and way, really. Yeah, that's actually a really, that's a really good point. I think we forget that often with in the age of, um, like just devices, like as I'm talking to you now, I've got the zoom up, I've got a document up with our questions, second monitor up in case I need something else. And meanwhile, my phone goes off occasionally, right? Like that's not, the brain wasn't designed for, you know, for that level of stimulus. And even in our, like the evolution neurologically, the tech is moving faster than the rate of actually the way our brains would be developing and catching up. It seems that way at least. Um, Folks, that is our show for today. More conversations about neurology and neuropathology may emerge in the future. Um, I want to first, of course, thank my co-host, Stacey Schultz, for joining us. Uh, Not joy, but just being a part of the conversation as always. Uh, And of course, our guest today, Jesse Gomez uh, at Chalkbeat Newark. Links to her articles will be included on this show. Um, so be sure to follow the work that she's doing, the, the fine folks at Chalkbeat as well, uh, and stay and continue to stay on, be loyal listeners. And again, keep reaching out to us with just your takeaways and things you appreciate about the show. Thank you for listening.